Well, today we'll be talking about crime and punishment. This is an introduction to crime and punishment from a biblical perspective. I really want to just introduce to you two options concerning crime and punishment for the civil magistrate. But before I can defend my view or try to present my view from Scripture, it has to be understood. And so this will just be an introduction, an overview to get you thinking about crime and punishment, to get you thinking about how does the Bible relate to crime and punishment. Now, in many ways, uh, theological issues can be very complicated, but we don't need to overcomplicate things. Therefore, I just want to present two general options for viewing crime and punishment. I don't want to be simplistic, even, even though I'm trying to keep this simple. It was said of Martin Luther, it is impossible to misunderstand him. To misunderstand him. I can only pray for the same commendation. So before I briefly explain my position from the scripture, let me give you five bullet points that I have here on my outline. These are the five points that we'll go through. And if you're watching the YouTube version of this, uh, you'll see these on the screen. So first, I want us to answer the question, does the Bible speak about the civil magistrate? And in, as part of that, I'll, I'll be giving some quotes from some of the, the Puritans who, who penned the, the Westminster Confession and also some who came later. Uh, just sort of as an introduction to say this is not a new idea. This is something that is laid down in the scripture and that godly men have been working on and working through uh, throughout church history. Second, I want to answer the question, what is the role of the civil magistrate? And when I say civil magistrate, we're talking about the civil government. So we'll look at what is the role of the civil magistrate. Third, we'll answer the question, by what standard should the civil magistrate carry out their role? And this is where, of course, I'll share my position that that, that standard should be God's law. And I'll explain what I mean by that. Fourth, we'll consider the other option. If man isn't, if the civil magistrate is not governing as far as crime and punishment, we're sticking just with crime and punishment today. If the civil magistrate does not govern uh, according to the Bible when it comes to crime and punishment, what is the other option? And fifth, we'll ask, why does this matter? In many ways, I wanted to put that first to really show you how important this is because some people might just think this is not important to think about. Hopefully, if you're listening to this, you'll stick with me till the end where I will give some application from this and why it really matters. So those are the five points. That's where we're going. Now, let me briefly summarize my position concerning crime and punishment. And then we'll get into these five points. I want to summarize my position at the beginning. God's moral standard, the Ten Commandments, is binding on all men and all societies. The moral case laws in the Old Testament are good and just and righteous and explain and apply the moral law to society. So let me give you an example. If in the Old Testament it says a moral case law would be if someone murders someone, that person should be put to death. Now, the, the, the moral law is thou shalt not murder, thou shalt not kill. The case law says this is how the civil magistrate should deal with that crime. Another example of the moral case law would be rape or adultery or kidnapping. Uh, and the moral case law, he who kidnaps one of his countrymen should be put to death. So these are moral case laws, and we're not getting into all of them today. This is just an introduction. But my position is that the moral case laws in the Old Testament are good and just, and they apply the moral law to society. Since it is the God-given role of the civil magistrate to use the sword to punish evildoers, 
we must ask the question, what standard should the civil magistrate use in determining which, which sins should be crimes and what the punishments for those crimes should be? My position is the standard must be the moral case laws of the Old Testament, which have not been abrogated. Now, let's get into an introduction of this. I want to unpack that and explain it. I'll try to keep this as simple as possible, but I do want to include several quotes to either help explain my position or show how it's, it's consistent with Reformed confessional Christianity. So you will need to listen carefully, but if you really think this is an important issue, uh, and I hope you will at least make the effort to understand my position and not simply dismiss it out of hand. Uh, if you understand it and, and it makes sense and you say, but I, I reject that, that's fine. But my concern is that when some people hear uh, that my position or, some, or anybody says that the moral case law should be followed, they just automatically dismiss that as a crazy idea. So hopefully this will help you at least understand my, and it's not just my position, uh, this position that, that has a rich history in Reformed confessional Christianity. So let's begin with point number one. Does the Bible speak about the role of the civil magistrate? Well, to put it quite simply, the Bible certainly does. There is much, both in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, that deals with the civil magistrate. Throughout the Old Testament, the issue of judges using just judgment and not perverting justice is prominent. Uh, let me give you a couple examples here. Deuteronomy 16. Deuteronomy 16 and verses 18 and 19. Deuteronomy 16, 18, and 19, God's word says, Judges and officers shalt thou make thee in all thy gates, which the Lord thy God giveth thee throughout thy tribes, and they shall judge the people with just judgment. Thou shalt not rest judgment, thou shalt not respect persons, neither take a gift. For a gift doth blind the eyes of the wise, and pervert the words of the righteous." Consider also Proverbs, and the book of Proverbs is full of examples of how the civil magistrate should govern. Consider Proverbs 24, beginning in 23. These things also belong to the wise. It is not good to have respect of persons in judgment. He that saith unto the wicked, Thou art righteous, him shall the people curse. Nations shall abhor him, but to them that rebuke him shall be delight, and a good blessing shall come upon them. So, in verse in Proverbs twenty four twenty three, it's not good to have respect of persons in judgment. It's not good to show partiality. This is in the scripture. This idea is a reoccurring theme. Do not show partiality in judgment. Judge with just judgment. Do not take a bribe. Do not do not oppress the poor. And you see, in, in our in our in our culture, we see how the poor stand a, a far greater chance, if you will, of of being punished as opposed to the rich. And because there's partiality, and in God's law, there was to be no partiality. Now, throughout church history, godly men have recognized that the Bible does, in fact, speak about the civil magistrates, and about the role of the civil magistrate. Now, time would fail me uh, to share all the quotes from uh, Westminster, the Westminster Divines and other Puritans and other men throughout church history uh, who have uh, affirmed this point, but I would like to read uh, just one, or a couple here. First, I want to read from the, the Baptist Confession of 1689, which, of course... It's, it's mostly taken from the Westminster Confession of Faith. So in both the Westminster Confession of Faith and the Baptist Confession of 1689, you have quotes like this. This is from chapter 24. God, the supreme Lord and King of all the world, hath ordained civil magistrates to be under him over the people for his own glory 
and the public good, and to this end hath armed them with the power of the sword, for defense and encouragement of them that do good, and for the punishment of evildoers. So, the Bible does speak about this. I'm not going to read all the quotes from the scripture. I've read a couple. Uh, the, the confessions recognize that this is an important issue. Uh, the Bible is not silent when it comes to the civil magistrate, when it comes to the civil government. So the church should not be either. So this is not something we can ignore or sweep under the rug. We must deal with this from a thoroughly biblical perspective. Well, that takes us to point number two. Let's, let's now consider what is the role of the civil magistrate. And it's actually quite simple. The role of the civil magistrate is to punish evildoers and protect those who do good. It's to punish evildoers and to protect those who do good. In 1 Peter chapter 2, the scripture says, in verse 14, I'll, read, I'll start in verse 13. Submit yourselves unto every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether it be to the king as supreme, or unto governors as unto them that are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of them that do well. Of course, Romans 13. In Romans 13, the scripture, in talking again about the civil magistrate, the civil government explains to us the role of the civil government. It says that the civil the civil magistrate, let's see here, let's start in, in chapter 13, verse 3. For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to the evil. Let me stop right there for a second. Clearly here Paul is speaking about how God has designed the civil magistrate to be. Because we know throughout history, many times rulers are are a terror to good conduct and not to evil. So when Paul says that rulers are not a terror to good works, but to the evil, he's saying that this is how God has this is what God has instituted them for. So Paul says, For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to the evil. Wilt thou then not be afraid of the power? Do that which is good, and thou shalt have praise of the same. For he, speaking of the civil magistrate, is the minister of God, to thee for good. But if thou do that which is evil, be afraid, for he beareth not the sword in vain, for he is the minister of God, an avenger to execute wrath upon him that doeth evil. So this is the clear biblical teaching, obviously not confined to the Old Testament. These are New Testament passages, saying that the role of the civil magistrate is to punish evildoers and to protect those who do good. They are, in fact, ministers of God who are to execute God's wrath upon evildoers. So all the excess of government and, and the corresponding curses that have come upon this nation are in large part a result of the civil magistrate overstepping its bounds and ruling in ungodly ways. Proverbs 28.2 says, For the transgression of a land many are the princes thereof, but by a man of understanding and knowledge, the state thereof shall be prolonged. And you look at America, and our transgressions abound. And how many princes, how many rulers, how many laws, how much uh, uh, judicial oppression do we have over us because of the wicked system that is operating in this nation? So if we, if we overstep God's boundaries for the civil magistrate, is it any wonder that we have in this nation government intrusion and regulations galore. It should not be a surprise to us because the civil magistrate is, is going beyond what the scripture calls it to and it's not even doing what the scripture calls it to because the civil magistrate in America is not operating based on God's revealed word. So that's point two. What is the role of the civil magistrate? Clearly the scripture teaches the role of the civil magistrate the role of the civil government, those that are over the people, as I, as I read in the confession, that God has ordained civil magistrates to be over the people. And he's armed them with the power of the sword for de defense and encouragement of them that do good 
and for the punishment of evildoers. As we read in Romans 13 and 1 Peter 2, that's the clear teaching of Scripture. The civil magistrate is to punish evildoers, even using the sword, executing them under certain conditions. So I hope that should, that should be clear. That's a clear teaching of Scripture. Uh, it's a clear teaching of confessional Christianity. Now that leads us to, to the third question. The third question, which we want to answer here, is, is if the civil magistrate is indeed to punish evildoers, which is clear in Scripture, what standard should the civil magistrates use in fulfilling their role? As I said, since it is clearly their role to punish evildoers, not to provide health care or education or anything like that, if their role is to punish evildoers, the obvious question is, what determines evil? And, just as importantly, what should the punishments be? So this is now going to get into to my position the civil, mag, uh, the civil magistrate in crime and punishment, and it's certainly not unique to me, as I'll, I'll share uh, several quotes. I could share a lot more, but I'll just sh share a couple um, from some of the Puritans who, who had this, this similar view. But I want to share a quote here from Greg Bonson, who puts it as simple as it can be. In answer to the question of what standards should the civil magistrate use to determine what is evil, and to determine what punishments they should use. Bonson says, quote, Quite simply, civil magistrates ought to mete out the punishment which God has prescribed in his word. End quote. Now, as soon as some people hear that, as soon as they hear the idea that, that any portion of the Old Testament law should be followed by the civil magistrate, they get concerned. Now, the reason for this, I believe, is that many people, even Christians, think that God's law in the Old Testament is harsh. Now, I have dealt with that issue elsewhere on RestoreDelaware.com, but it is worth pointing out here that we do not have a right to stand in judgment on God and His law. If we think God's law is harsh, it is because we have posited another standard for justice. You see, God is the one who determines what is, what, isn't, what is not harsh. So we cannot come to God's law and say that law is harsh. In order to do that, we have to have another standard above God's word, above God's law, that says this is, this is the law that God should have given. See, God's law is not harsh. It is perfectly just and good. I want to read Hebrews chapter 2 in... in connection with this. In Hebrews chapter 2, the Word of God tells us the following. For if the word spoken by angels was steadfast, and every transgression and disobedience received the just recompense of reward, how shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord, and was confirmed unto us by them that heard him? So the author of the book of Hebrews tells us that every transgression and disobedience received a just recompense of reward. If God's law were harsh or unjust, it could not be said that every disobedience received a just punishment. Now oftentimes, the modern day objection to the civil magistrate implementing the civil law is this. But that would mean openly defiant idolaters would be put to death. But you see, that's not really so much an objection as it is an observation. Yes, if the civil magistrate adopted the Mosaic case laws, the punishment for open idolatry could be up to including death. The punishment for rape could be up to including death. Kidnapping could be up to including death. Now, many of these uh, offenses against others, the offended party had the option to, to receive restitution. But for certain crimes, death the, the death penalty 
was the only just punishment, such as first-degree premeditated murder. In some of the other ones, the offended party had the option, not the state, to make that decision. The offended party had the option. So some people, as soon as they hear, and as soon as we hear this idea that the civil magistrate should follow the Mosaic case laws, they say, oh, but that would mean uh, th this, pun this crime would be punishable by death. You see, that's not an objection so much as it is an observation. The question is, what standard tells us that death should not be the penalty for open idolatry? Or consider the example of death being the punishment for kidnapping. Is that harsh? You see, we can have all sorts of personal opinions concerning the punishments in the civil law, in the Old Testament, but at the end of the day, those are just personal opinions. It doesn't matter if I think the punishment for homosexual practice should be a $5,000 fine. It doesn't matter what I think it should be. What matters is what God thinks and what he has said in his word. So there is no way around this issue. The civil magistrates must use some standard to determine crime and punishment. There's no way around this unless someone, unless someone just wants to simply abandon the notion of the state bearing the sword, as perhaps some would. Now, I'm not going to get into all the crimes uh, that are punishable by death and what the other punishments are in the Bible, according to God's word, because I, I think many might just simply react off of that instead of trying to understand the foundation of this. See, I want to first lay the foundation, and then you can read the Bible for yourself and, 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 and see in God's wisdom what laws he gave uh, for society to follow. So the civil magistrate should use God's law as the standard for administering justice. And the punishment of a crime is an important part of justice. In fact, it's one of the most important parts of justice. You see, when we're told not to rest judgment or show or to show partiality in the scripture, right? When it says, pick men who will, who will execute justice, who will judge with just judgment, and don't show partiality. We are being told that those in the position of civil magistrates should administer the proper punishment regardless of personal preference. The scripture says, he who justifies the wicked and he who condemns the righteous is unlike an abomination to the Lord. So we have no prerogative to rest that to, to rest judgment, to, to pervert judgment. And so if a judge has someone who's who's committed a crime and the offended party has said this this is the restitution I demand from this, and following the, the, the biblical case law, and the judge says, and the judge, because of a personal preference, because the, the person maybe he feels sorry for the criminal, maybe the criminal has a lot of money, maybe the criminal doesn't, maybe the criminal is very poor. None of those things matter. The scripture tells us to not pervert justice and to pervert justice would be to not punish the criminal in a just manner. So punishments for crime go hand in hand with justice. You can't say, well, the punishments don't matter as long as it's a crime. That, that just doesn't make any sense because you can say, oh, well, someone uh, committed this crime, they kidnapped and they they were found guilty, and as long as we tell them this is a crime and we put forth some sort of punishment, then justice is being served. That's not the case. Justice demands just punishments. Now, this is, as an, as an aside here, understanding this and understanding what justice is and understanding the nature of crime and punishment is very important when it comes to understanding the cross of Christ. You see, those who justify the wicked are an abomination to God. And so how could God justify wicked sinners? There had to be a payment made for their sin. Jesus Christ took that punishment upon himself. He didn't rest, God didn't rest judgment when, when God the Father poured out his wrath on his son. And we are not to rest judgment when we are dealing with society and laws. If a rapist is only fined $5, is justice being served? Of course not. And we can understand that because we do understand that punishments go hand in hand with justice. 
So I want to summarize this section before moving on to, to, to point four. And like I said, this is an introduction. Many more questions might be raised, but I do want to, to present this introduction to show you, the listener, or anyone else who will hear this, that this position is logical, scriptural, and has a rich history in, in Reformed confessional Christianity. And to show you, which we'll get into next, uh, that the alternative is not any is not does not have any more shock value, if you will, than this. Some people say, "Whoa, you want the civil magistrate to be governed according to God's word?" That's crazy. But I want to show you that the other option is even more crazy, if you will. I don't think this option is crazy. I think this is biblical. I think the other option is crazy. But I want to show you uh, how, in some senses, uh, this is a much, uh, well, not in some senses. I just want to show you that this is, is the biblical approach. And if you take the other approach, you'll see it opens the door to all sorts of things. So let me summarize now uh, this third section. And to do that, I want to read a quote here from Greg Bonson. So listen carefully to this. Greg Bonson says, The Apostle Paul described the civil magistrate as ordained by God, one who bears not the sword in vain, because he is a minister of God, an avenger for wrath against evildoers. Romans 1 Romans 13, 1-4. Without such authorization, the punishment of one man by another would be pure presumption. The perpetration of one group of a misdeed against another individual or group. The very notion of public justice, the right surpassing considerations of might, is rooted in the assumption that God's direction stands, be stands behind the function of of the civil magistrate in society. Given that fact, it is only natural that the standard by which the magistrate should mete out penalties to criminals ought to be the revealed law of God. End quote. So Dr. Bonson is saying, listen, the idea of public justice demands that there is a standard for crimes and punishment above us that we appeal to so that we can even say this is right as opposed to whatever the majority think or, or whoever has the most power can decide. There has to be a standard that's appealed to in order for, for the concept of, of justice to make any sense. Now, let's consider now... Well, before we consider the other option, actually, I want to share just a couple of quotes. I think we're doing good on time here. I want to share just a couple of quotes... Uh, concern from so, some of these men helped write the, the Westminster Confession of Faith, which obviously the, the 1689 Baptist Confession of Faith is, is built upon. And others are just Puritans who followed afterwards. Let, let me start with this from, uh, this is George Gillespie, one of the leading Westminster divines. This is what George Gillespie said, quote, I know some divines hold that the judicial law of Moses, so far as concerneth the punishments of sin against the moral law, idolatry, blasphemy, Sabbath-breaking, adultery, theft, etc., ought to be the rule to the Christian magistrate. And for my part, I wish more respect were had to it, and that it were more consulted with. Now, this is one of his more conservative statements uh, on this, but he's saying, listen, uh, this is, there are the, the West, there are Westminster divines, men who wrote the confession, who hold that the judicial law of Moses should be the rule of the Christian magistrate. And he says, you know what? I wish that more would consider that position. Let me read another quote here by uh, the Puritan Thomas Cartwright. He says, quote, And as for the judicial law, forasmuch as there are some of them made in regard of the region where they were given, and of the people to whom they were given, the prince and the magistrate, keeping the substance and equity of them, as it were the marrow, may change the circumstance of them as the times and places and manners of the people shall require. But to say that any magistrate can save the life of blasphemers, contemptuous and stubborn idolaters 
murderers, adulterers, incestuous persons, and such like, which God by his judicial law hath commanded to be put to death, I do utterly deny, and am ready to prove if that pertained to this question. So Cartwright's saying there are aspects of, of the judicial law that are circumstantial, but the essence of it, what the confession calls the general equity of the law, the civil magistrate has no right to change. He says for the magistrate to think that they can change the punishments for these crimes, he denies. Now I could go on uh, with several quotes. Puritan William Perkins says, quote, that the witch truly convicted is to be punished with death, the highest degree of punishment, and that by the law of Moses, the equity whereof is perpetual. So these men are saying that the, the equity of the law, as the Westminster Confession and, and Baptist Confession of 1689 say, the equity of these judicial laws continue on even though the state of Israel has ceased to exist, the, the Old Testament state of Israel. The general equity continues on. Now, I would love to go into that more, but this is just an introduction, so I want you to understand the position. Well, now let's consider point number four. I just wanted to include those quotes to, to maybe explain it a little bit more to show you that uh, this is a, a, not a new idea. So we've just covered in point three what is the position that I, that I hold that the civil magistrate should govern according to God's moral law and, and, the, and the civil law in the Old Testament which, which apply that moral law to society. Those should be the, the punishments. Now, briefly at the end, I'll talk about how, how that would even happen and what that would look like. Uh, but now I want, to, I want us to consider the other option, point number four. What's the other option? If we say, no, the civil magistrate should not use the civil law of the Old Testament, the Mosaic case laws, then what's the other option? Well, since we've already seen that the civil magistrate is to punish evildoers, we have to say now, okay, by what standard will they do that if we reject uh, the law of God revealed in the Old Testament? So let's see what we're left with. Let's just say that let's just say that your view is that uh, God's revealed law concerning crime and punishment in society, as revealed in the Old Testament, does not apply to civil magistrates today. What you're essentially saying, whether you intend to or not is that there is no objective standard when it comes to crime and punishment. Now, lest I be accused of setting up a straw man here, I want to unpack that claim. Uh, and the first thing I want to do is, is to quote Bonson again here, which will get us rolling in this. So I want to unpack this claim that I'm making, that if you reject the, the, the civil law of the Old Testament as the, uh, the standard by which we determine what sins should be crimes and what the punishment should be, uh, you're left with uh, no objective standard. So here's what Dr. Bonson says. Quote, Yet not all Christian teachers are willing to grant that point, namely that the civil magistrate should mete out penalties according to the revealed law of God. So Bonson's saying not everyone grants that. Okay, then he's going to go on. Those who deny the validity of the penal sanctions found in the revealed law of God, however, rarely have cogent and clear alternatives to offer. When they do, these alternatives rarely stem from a Christian standpoint. Moreover, those advocating criminal penalties apart from God's revealed law hardly ever show a willingness to stand behind or defend the fairness and justice of their specific proposals. In short, those who demur at the idea of having current-day magistrates follow the penal sanctions of God's law usually leave us with the position that there are no permanently just standards of punishment, for magistrates are left to themselves to devise their own penal codes autonomously. If some ruler thought that stealing two pennies deserved death, while killing an innocent child deserved a fine of two pennies, many Christian teachers would have no objective way to demonstrate the injustice 
of this arrangement. Their failure to produce a God-glorifying, scripturally anchored method of knowing what justice demands in particular cases of criminal activity would in principle leave us at the mercy of magistrate despots. End quote. I know that was a mouthful, but what Dr. Bonson is saying is that uh, if you say the Old Testament case laws do not apply today, you are left saying that the civil magistrate and nations today must choose for themselves what they think should be the best system of crime and punishment. Now, this is, this is kind of ironic because many who do not like the idea of the civil magistrates governing according to God's civil law actually, by default then, allow the civil magistrates to govern uh, any, any way they wish. Now, if, for example, the civil magistrate, the civil government decides that the penalty uh, for rape should be 20 years in prison, can you object to that on any objective grounds? Can you say, no, the punishment should rape for rape should not be 20 years. That's too lenient. The punishment should be this. Or could you say 20 years is too harsh? You see, you have no objective standard once you reject uh, the God's standard from the Old Testament. Or consider another example. Uh, what if uh, a civil magistrate and and this has been the case at certain points and maybe still in some nations today, what if the civil magistrate said the penalty for stealing should be death? Can you object to that on any objective grounds? Or what if the civil magistrate said the punishment for kidnapping should be a $100 fine? Can you object to that on any objective grounds? Or is it just going to be your subjective opinion? Now, I certainly have opinions on those things, but it doesn't matter what my opinion is. What matters is what God has said is justice. So here's the ironic part. If a state decides that they are going to be governed according to the civil law of God in the Old Testament, could anybody object to that on objective grounds? And let's say, for just for sake of argument, you're, you're a person who does not think that the, the Mosaic case laws should be followed today and that the, the civil magistrates are free to determine their own systems of crime and punishment. What would you be able to say if a nation said, well, we think that the Mosaic case laws are the best, is the best uh, code of crime and punishment? You could not object to that. Because once you've rejected any objective standard for crime and punishment, you allow the civil magistrate to govern when it comes to crime and punishment, any way they see fit. Let me try and summarize this and keep it simple. We, will, we can agree here that the civil magistrate should not punish uh, well-doing. Uh, they, they should only punish sins. The question is, what sins should be crimes and what the punishments for those should be? Obviously, we agree that the, the civil magistrate should not punish those who read the Bible. Because reading the Bible is not a sin. It's not evil. The magistrates are to punish evildoers. But we must also ask, is the civil magistrate to punish everything that is evil? Because if they did, they would, they would punish lust and all these things. But we see in the Old Testament, the civil magistrate did not punish every sin. There were only certain sins, certain public sins that the civil magistrate could punish. And that's still the case today. So let's say this. Let's say that your view is that you think the civil magistrates are not required to administer justice, that is, punish crimes with specific punishments according to God's civil law. So let me tell you what we're both saying now. Let's say we hold different views here. I'm saying that the civil magistrate should govern according to God's civil law. You are saying they may if they want to, but they don't have to. See, I hope that makes it clear that to object to my position is to allow my position in practice anyway. You may say God doesn't require civil magistrates to govern according to his revealed law. But you cannot say that God forbids it. Now, I know that some might posit this idea that 
Well, God now requires the civil magistrates to operate under, on the principle of religious freedom. But this idea does not come from the scripture. It's just a, a, a personal preference to say that, well, the civil magistrate today, they should operate based on religious freedom. Everybody should be able to worship whatever God they want. But abortion shouldn't be allowed. Homosexual marriage shouldn't be allowed. Uh, but we, homosexual practice can be allowed, but no marriage. It's just It becomes all arbitrary. And it becomes just a matter of personal preference and opinion. Now, it does say something about the church in general. And I think this is just uh, because of a, a lack of teaching on Reformed confessional Christianity, um, that many would rather be governed by fallen man's theories of crime and punishment than according to God's law. I mean, sadly, uh, let me just share this briefly. I was interacting with someone from a quote-unquote Christian organization that's involved in politics, and this person told me that unregenerate unbelievers are better candidates uh, than Christians. I was just shocked that a, that someone who claims to be a Christian would say, you know what, I'd rather have unbelievers and their system of thought operating in the, in the civil government than someone who's a Christian and seeking to follow God's law. Well, it says a lot about the state of the church. That says a lot about the state of the church. Now, I do want to get to point five now and why does this matter why does this matter and then and then I want to wrap up so let, let let me ask let's ask why why does this matter what's the point why why spend the time to even listen to this or, or think about this well I have at least five reasons here of why this matters first this matters because God's Word deals with it extensively. And that should be enough right there. God's Word deals with this extensively. And so we uh, would do well to study the Scriptures and wrestle through these things and not to dismiss a position out of hand because it seems foreign to us because there is much uh, that we think and believe because we've been brought up in a democratic um, uh, democracy, America, enlightenment thinking, and, and, and we need to have our mind transformed by the scriptures. No one's immune uh, from, from the influences of their culture. I, I'm certainly not. So this is important because God's word deals with it. So let's try to, to, to wrestle with what the scripture teaches. Well, secondly, why it's important is because a society, the, the laws of a society are a reflection of the people. The laws of a society are a reflection of the people. And righteousness exalts a nation. But sin is a, is a disgrace to any people. So this is not an abstract theory. This is not something to just talk about and, and then it has no uh, bearing on everyday life. This is practical. The laws of society reflect that society's character. You look at our laws today. Abortion, legal. Homosexual marriage, quote-unquote, legal. No punishment for adultery. No, no, no uh, direction as far as fornication. What does that say about our society and the people in our society? It says a great deal. So this is not just uh, an arbitrary thing. Or, or an abstract thing, I should say. The laws of society reflect the character of that society, and God is certainly concerned about the laws of society. And he will judge nations that don't govern according to his revealed word. Well, thirdly, uh, the third reason this matters is because many people misunderstand the general position that I'm advocating, which is that the general equity of the case laws in the Old Testament should be followed as it relates to crime and punishment. And since they misunderstand that, it, it can, there can be needless division created over it. And so you must understand that if it troubles you that I think the civil magistrate should govern according to God's law, you must understand that your position is not too far off because you're saying that there is no standard as far as crime and punishment. 
You see, my position at least prevents the civil magistrate from going beyond what God has laid down in his word. You see, if you reject the Mosaic case laws, on what basis can you say that thieves should not be put to death? Or fornicators should not be put to death? You see, in the Old Testament, thieves and fornicators would not be put to death. But if you reject the Mosaic case laws, you have no basis to say what the punishment for any crime should be. This just becomes your own personal opinion. But as, as the main point here, the third point is, if you misunderstand this, it can cause needless division in the church. Needless division. So it's important to understand this position and understand where people like, like me and, and are coming from. Well, no, number four, another reason this matters is that in America, we can vote. We can vote for those who would rule over us. I mean, that's just a, we're so used to it, but it's such a novel notion in, in history. I mean, when you look at the Old Testament, though, that was in place even then. They had a republic, uh, a republic that honored God, and they were to select men to govern them. But for most of pagan history, this idea is, is foreign. And it's only because of the Bible being spread in Christian thinking that we have this system. Now, we can, so, so since we can vote, this is immensely important to us. Even if we couldn't, because of all the other points it's important. But since we can vote, we need to know who we should be voting for. You see, the unbelievers vote based on their religious views. They believe that everyone should be allowed to live however they want, and so that's how they vote. And you see, when Christians come along, they say, well, we can't bring in Christianity or religion to the public square, so let's just vote for those that are sort of moderate or conservative. Uh, why would Christians not vote uh, when we're voting for what law we want to govern our land? Why would Christians not vote for the law of God. I think it's because it, this is misunderstood. So that's the fourth reason why this is important. Uh, we can vote. Uh, number five, the fifth reason why this is important is because of our future. I firmly believe that we are called, the church is called, Christians are called to bring everything under the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. And if this had been taught in the church among other things, uh, I don't. The, the situation in America might look different, but the church has really abdicated its responsibility in in the social and political sphere. And uh, but we have a responsibility to teach our children these things, and the next generation after them. And if if the church would wake up to the to the importance of bringing all areas of life under the crown rights of Jesus Christ. There would certainly be a change. I mean, and if you think that the church and the, the thought, biblical thought can't change society, then you're forgetting America and the roots of the pilgrims and the Puritans and why now the, the liberals and the pagans are overturning laws that were based on Christian principles. So certainly the church can make a difference. And so that's the fifth reason why this is important is because uh, we have to teach the next generation. We have to teach our children these things. We have to teach our children that they should delight in the law of God. And that if you abandon the, the, the law of God in the Old Testament is as a binding for the civil magistrates, as it relates to crime and punishment and civil law, then, then there is no objective standard. There's no objective standard. Well, in conclusion, I just want to read a couple of passages here. First, I want to read from 2 Chronicles chapter 15. And, and I save this to the end because I want to make it clear that this is not an issue of going out and trying to force people to become Christians and force them uh, to uh, become converted. That's never the issue. The issue here is justice. What crimes should be punished, should the civil magistrate punish, and what should the punishments be? 
You see, the majority of people in America vote... Well, clearly the majority of people in America do not vote based on this standard. And so the laws we have in our nation are exalting the God of demos, the God of democracy, the God of that the people are supreme as opposed to God. But what would happen if uh, a, a, there was a Christian nation in the sense that most of the people were Christians, or at least they wanted to be governed by Christian principles? Now, I want to read from Second Chronicles because this has happened outside of the Bible, but it certainly happened within the Bible. And so if someone says, well, when did that happen? Well, it happened in the Bible right here in 2 Chronicles 15. Uh, the, 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 the people covenanted together to be governed according to God's law. 2 Chronicles 15 verse 12. And they entered into a covenant to seek the Lord God of their fathers with all their heart and with all their soul, that whosoever would not seek the Lord God of Israel should be put to death, whether small or great, whether man or woman, and they swear unto the Lord with a loud voice and with shouting and with trumpets and with cornets. And all Judah rejoiced at the oath. You see, all the people rejoiced at the oath. For they had sworn with all their heart and sought him with their whole desire. And he was found of them and the Lord gave them rest round about. You see, what's happening here is, and I can't get into all the details, but the people of Judah are saying, yes, we want to covenant. We want a national covenant with the Lord God. We want to be governed according to His words. We want His law to be the law of our land. We want those who would openly defy and rebel against the Lord in open and public blasphemy and idolatry to be put to death because that's what God's law required. You see, these are people that are coming to the Lord freely and saying, we want these laws to govern us as a people. And there are more instances of that in Second Chronicles, but I just wanted to read that one. Because whether or not you think that'll happen is really besides the point. The real question is, what is justice? And if you have the opportunity to vote and say, I'm... Because when we vote for our legislators, it's so easy to forget that this, the role of the civil magistrate is to punish evil. And now, it's, now we say, oh, it's to, to hold up the economy and to do all the... No, the, the role of the civil magistrate is to punish evildoers. So when we vote, we are saying, this is the law that I want the land to be governed by. And if Christians should say, if Christians ask themselves, what law do I want to govern this, this land? There's no better law than God's law. I just want to read Deuteronomy chapter 4, where God says this, Deuteronomy 4, verse 5. Behold, I have taught you statutes and judgments, even as the Lord my God commanded me, that ye should do so in the land whither ye go to possess it. Keep therefore and do them, for this is your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of all the nations, which shall hear all these statutes and say, Surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. For what nation is there so great, who hath God so nigh unto them, as the Lord our God is in all things that we call upon him for. And what nation is there so great that hath statutes and judgments so righteous as all this law which I set before you this day? Only take heed to thyself and keep thy soul diligently, lest thou forget the things which thine eyes have seen, and lest they depart from thy heart all the days of thy life. But teach them thy sons and thy sons' sons. You see, we have, we have, as Christians, the best law, the only just law for society in the Scripture. And yet, for whatever reason, uh, we can react to this law with hostility because we think it's harsh, we think it's extreme. But I hope you, you've at least seen uh, from this brief overview that the standard to call anything harsh and anything just must be God's Word. And if we say God's law from the Old Testament should not be followed today, I ask you, what do you put in its place? And there is no objective principle, no objective standard to put in its place. If we want to say, well, I think it should be 
um, religious freedom. Everybody can practice what they want. Um, but if you want to get married as a homosexual, that should, I mean, on what basis can we say these things? I hope I've made that point clear. Now, if you want to say that, that's fine, but you have to at least understand that your position then still allows for the moral case laws. And so there should be no uh, reaction of astonishment or terror that I would uh, say, or anyone for that matter, would say that uh, the Mosaic case law should be followed because uh, the other position has to admit that the Mosaic case laws are an option. Now, the reason I'm, I'm, I'm spending so much time on that point is because uh, Christians should not divide over this and be uh, bitter towards one another and say, oh, you know, this is a, someone who holds to this position and that's a crazy position and I would never hold that. But you see, the other position is um, even more, allows for many more things to be execute, uh, punishable by death. You see, that's what the main thing that people, that offends people about the civil law in the Old Testament is, a, is the crimes that were punishable by death. But you see, there are only a certain fixed amount, a certain uh, uh, certain crimes that are punishable by death if you follow the Mosaic case laws. If you abandon the Mosaic case laws, yes, you can say, well, my opinion is that only murder should be, should be punishable by death. But once you abandon the Mosaic case laws, you have no objective standard to say that all crimes shouldn't be punishable by death. You see, God's law is good, and it's meant to protect the people. And so if we had the option to choose, I pray that the, the, the church would choose God's law. So in, in summary, and I, I try not to use any technical terms here, but in summary, the position I hold, as well as many of the, the Westminster divines, and as well as uh, many Reformed Christians today, certainly not the majority, I'll admit that, but there are still many who hold to uh, this uh, principle laid down in Scripture concerning justice. And the only alternative to this position is to say that the civil magistrates can determine what they think is best when it comes to crime and punishment. And so choose this day, uh, and when you go to the polls, choose what law you want to be governed by. But, but I, I pray that uh, you and, and, and everyone would try to understand, at least understand the position, and to realize that a reaction of, an, uh, of, of astonishment or aghast or uh, just shaking your head and, and uh, disappointment that someone would hold this view demonstrates that... Uh, one doesn't understand their own view. Because you cannot posit an objective standard for the civil magistrate if you abandon the Old Testament case laws. So my prayer is that we can talk about these things uh, as a Christian community in general, because uh, I know this many people uh, will have access to this. I don't know how many will listen to it, but I think the church in America needs to really wake up and, and, and say, what what is our view on the on the law? What is our view on the civil magistrate? Uh, there's been a lot of talk you know, about homosexual marriage and abortion, and, and many, uh, sadly, who claim to be Christians and are uh, in in the so-called conservative uh, major political party are saying, "Well, we lost that battle. Now let's just focus on the economy." Uh, that's that's a shame, and it's certainly. Uh, symptomatic of a larger problem, which is an abandonment of God's civil law. So I hope this was fruitful. I know I rambled a little bit there, but I hope I, I explained my position. I hope I explained that uh, the civil magistrate's role is clearly to punish evildoers. And the question we must ask then is by what standard should they do that? I hope I've showed that uh, if, if uh, we, we follow God's law, the civil magistrate follows God's law, uh, they will be putting, uh, they will be executing justice according to the only standard that is immutable, God's, and th that if we reject that, the other option is that man decides, the civil magistrate decides. They can decide that the punishment for rape should be five years. They can decide that it should be ten years. They can decide that it should be life in prison. They can decide whatever they want. And while our sensibilities may object to a uh, one-year prison sentence, we have no objective standard to do so. Uh, and fifth, I hope you, you've realized why this matters. I hope you at least see that uh, th this is something that you should not dismiss. 
but think about and look to the scriptures. And so I hope that helps. I hope you'll consider these things. Check out any uh, information I have on this site. And please get in touch with me if I can help uh, explain anything that I've misrepresented or if you think I've misrepresented the other side. or uh, Please contact me. So thank you for listening.